This is the Property Solopreneur Podcast, and I'm Rachel Troughton. I'll be talking about everything you need to create wealth by building your portfolio in a sustainable and profitable way. I'll be sharing the realities of a property investing business. I'll talk bricks and mortar, buy to let, HMOs, flipping and planning game, as that's what we all enjoy doing. But I'll also share how to use good systems, processes, and find the right professionals to work with. In fact, everything that will enable you to become a successful property solopreneur. Well, hello to this episode. And today I'm very excited because I've got Bill Patel with me. Now, I've known Bill for about 10 years, I think, along with his brother, Darren, and friend James O'Grady. And they burst, is the only word to say it, onto the property scene about 10 years ago, where they were regulars at the Bucks Property Meet, which I co-hosted. Do you know, we watched as they went from newbies to being uber successful property peeps. Uh, and that's no exaggeration. And on their way, they completely changed people's minds about actually what was possible in the student world. You know, carpets made of artificial grass. Never forget the bedheads made of anti-slip metal walkways. Oh my word, they looked amazing. And actually, your student lets became the Bible for how to do student HMOs. But then not content with that, they set up their own letting agency and they sourced for clients, borrowed significant, I think is probably the right word, sums of money to create their dreams and their goals. And on top of that, they always appeared to be having an enormous amount of fun. That really was a key word. So welcome, Bill. Thank you so much for being a guest today. Thanks for having me, Rachel. Pleasure. Well, one of the things that everyone always asks straight away, so we'll get out of the way, is did you have a knife before property and what was it? (laughs) <laughs> no. <laughs> it was always proper. No, so I did, yeah. So, you know, early days I was electrician, got got my qualification as electrician, started working on the underground, Gosh. you know, doing nights. That's how I started. And I started to then, in the day, uh, do private jobs. So built that up over a little bit of time and then, you know, started full-time my electrical contracting business, which I grew from zero to sort of a turnover of about a million within four years. And I sold out to my business oh, partner fantastic. Uh, because I could see the opportunity in property. So that was 2007 to 2011, that time when I was building up the electrical business. But every time I, you know, I was working on schools, hospitals, but also these beautiful houses in Mayfair. And, and uh, you know, I was just in love with the houses as well as wiring them up at the same time. Yeah. So there was always a love there of property anyway, even from the very beginning. And then you've teamed up with your brother and James. Now, James is a musician. So how did the three of you get together to go, do you know, we're going to form this company? Yeah. Well, I knew Darren since two years old, <laughs> obviously. So, so he... He was a given. So he he was working with me in the electrical business. Um, and funny enough, the spark was our mother went, oh, why don't you go down to this property event? And we drove down there and went, oh, I know what's going to happen. They're going to sell us some some course. And we ended up buying a, a very early days progressive property course uh-huh. with Robert Mark. So um, Darren and I went on that. And then we'd done a huge amount of networking to get, you know, to get knowledge and soak up you know, different people's strategies and things like that. And we met James and we circled in on Luton as a place for yields, best yields within half hour to 40 minutes drive of where we lived in uh, Rickmansworth. And that was a reason because we wanted to build a portfolio. So it was sort of the best place we could find within a certain radius. There was an option to go up to Milton Keynes, but at the time there was average speed check. And so driving up there kicked it over an hour and it was like, nope, 
not going to bother investing there. So, are you telling me that the whole thing sort of centered on speed checks? That's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> so that's how it started. We were like, all right, this is taking too long. We looked at because it looked like a good area for yields as well. And so, ended up in Luton, networking, met James, met for a coffee. And basically, we told him we were looking for deals. And, you know, we just kept in touch. And James, funny enough, had a bit more of an established reputation in Luton. We didn't. We were like, you know, viewing and speaking to the agents and making the relationships at the time and really working on those. And James had a deal pop up, but he had money invested in another property. And we were like, right, we'll come in and do it. So we had we had a bit of money, but we didn't have the money for the purchase. We had probably enough to do the development. And we needed a quarter of a million to do the first deal. And literally, that's how it started. So... You know, we got offer accepted, didn't have the money, got on the phone. And I remember it was the fifth phone call I made to a chap that you may well have met possibly at some of the network events. And he said, yeah, I can I can do that. Came down, looked at it and invested. Fantastic. And the rest is history. Yes. And, and so. that, that I think is very much a flavour of where you went next because you knew very straight away what you wanted to do. You had goals and the only way you were going to meet them is by having other people's money. So straight off. You were there at the front of the room, networking like mad. So I say you were, you know, absolute regulars at the Bucks. But you got onto the speaking circuit very quickly too, didn't you? Yes, so it was a bit of a mixture of different things. I mean, at the time we were, yes, very, very hungry for private investment. And I had to become an expert in that field because we were dealing with investors day in, day out, different amounts, you know, different securities, all these sorts of things. So, you know, chucking in, chuck, getting chucked in the deep end and, you know, you, you make mistakes along the way. And we learned a huge amount from that. And then, yeah, the speaking circuit sort of came on the back of that. So we, we you know, wanted to show and share what we were doing at the same time. Yes, because I remember a very early one. Uh, so you, I think almost the first one you spoke at was the Surrey Property Meet. I was the unfortunate second speaker, which had, you know, I don't think I got a look in that night because you had the you had the audience absolutely in the palm of your hands. Because you, and this is something I keep saying to people who are very new. They will always go, "Well, I won't be able to do anything because I'm new." You were very new, but your enthusiasm and your knowledge shone through the newness, which meant people thought, "I'm investing in them now before they get too big to invest." Have me as an investor. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that. Um, like we we might have not had all the confidence, like it might have come through as confidence, but there was this journey that we were on and that was it. We we wanted to get, you know, we wanted to build, I think the early days was a mission to build a, a, a thousand tenancy portfolio. So, you know, and that was, you know, what we were blinkers <laughs> on and we were going to do it. Hook yes. up, crook. Okay, we haven't quite got there. We, you know, we, we've got 20% there. Pretty much 20%. But that's when you realised only 20% was quite enough, actually. Now you can do other things. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. So so that was, I think, the, the goal. And then going back, did it matter that we, you know stood in front of the room and messed up when we were talking because we, we were no polished no. speakers. That's for, I'm sure you're about for that. So. <laughs> I did. I think I told yeah. you what to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so you, know, at, you know, in the early days, we definitely weren't. We, I think we've got a bit better. I still wouldn't call myself an expert at speaking, but I enjoy it. And, you know, when the opportunity arises, I, we, I still do a little bit now, but it's not. I think the main purpose for it back then was raising profile and, and attracting Which is absolutely vital because you could have gone absolutely no further without it. And you, the other thing that you were very good straight away from the start was, was having people round your sites, weren't you? You had investor days. You were known for it. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And I think something, we they got quite successful and we started getting, you know, 
10 people and then there was 20 people and like they were getting very big and we pulled back from that. And I, it's a kind of little regret that I didn't, we didn't ever maybe grow them to maybe even an education platform or helping people with the site because that they were run for the purpose of investment. So we weren't there giving away all our secrets, even though we did give away <laughs> quite a few. We still yes. run them. And, you know, then the there was it was quite a small conversion rate, I must admit, with them, but we enjoyed doing them for one thing. And we did get investment on the back end of, you know, showing people what we're doing because you know, there's one thing talking to someone on the phone. There's another thing showing them. Yes, very, very different. Around the and I think, and also people were able to see the scale because you were very much in the early days of this change into students having somewhere quite decent to live. Because my yeah. remembrance of students was, you know, well, I remember going into a house with no heating. You know, it was all very grotty. Landlord would yeah. put the furniture in there that he didn't want in his own house. Uh, and all that kind of yeah. stuff. So that was our generation. And to go round a house that you were all doing, which, whoa, it had all been thought out. And, you know, it the rooms were planned and you had IKEA furniture that had been built and thought out and painted. This was mind-blowing. Yeah, we were. I think we were some of the first in the country to think. I mean, it was funny because Darren and I were like, right, we wanted to do a high-end product. And we were initially thinking, you know, houses and flipping. And we did flip some houses in the early days. But when we mentioned it to James, James was a born bred Lutonian and he was thinking, uh, high end in Luton, are you guys sure? <laughs> <laughs> so, so there was a risk. There was an absolute risk for us, for, you know, as in, is this model even going to work? What, what, you know, what rents can we charge? And we were looking to charge. We had some information there because, you know, the student blocks were charging a certain amount and we thought, right, we can match that, dip in or even possibly push it a little bit higher and we were sold out in two days on the first yes, project uh, so it, you know just and proved. it was it was everyone went oh my word there, there's there's obviously something in that and then you slowly develop yeah. that model because you 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 have more than just students don't you you now have other people as well other but they you don't yes. mix them they're very separate aren't they yes yes so we've got now funny enough a lot, some of the stuff that we started off in the early days of students we've actually converted to professionals now and we've got out of the sort of 181 tenancies, we've 80 are students and 101 are professionals. So that sort of swung the other way. We started off with students, but we've actually ended up being more professional. But we've got both, we, we you know, rent to both. Oh, sorry, because of course Luton is one of those places that's a hub, isn't it? Yes, yes. It's, it's, a, it's an interesting place. So great for investment and for yields. And it's got so many things going for it. But, you know, sometimes I do walk through Luton and I think, Call blimey this place you know I, I, I as much as i'm like a, a great cheerleader for it, it it's got a lot of struggles as well and you often find these type of demographics are actually the places where things like our model yes. works quite well funny enough but what what happened then during covid well covid was uh covid was a big sort of tap on the shoulder should we say so um so i would have loved to be in furloughed sitting at home watching TV, but quite the opposite. <laughs> so when it's your business, you have, you know, you have an average occupancy of 97%. That drops to 60%. And of that 60%, you've got a load of people not paying money. Now, Luton, I think we were in the perfect storm in COVID in our business because we had a lettings agency, I Occupy Limited, managing it and like managing our self-managing and managing other people's. And during that period, we had the airport shut down and obviously all the students at University of Bedfordshire. Now, who'd have thought we were investing there because of the airport? <laughs> That's a double whammy, isn't it? <laughs> exactly. So it was. It really was a perfect storm. So we had we had a, 
a position there where we had to feed the business. And somewhere in the region of 180 grand we spent over that period to keep the business afloat without selling. And, you know, glad that that we got through that and weathered that storm, but we had to feed, like, that's a lot of money to put yes. in. Yes. But, you know, the cash, the cash flow is back now and the demand is back. But we, it was, it was a, it was a really difficult time. And there was, you know, there was a lot of hours being put in. And the other thing that happened was we decided to shut down the letting agency side of business because it's not a passion no. of mine. And I said, I put my, I put my hand up because I was managing them. And I said, right, I don't want to do it anymore. Do any of you two want to do it? No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And so we had options there. So it was either we keep I occupy and get a director in to run it, give them the baby, run it, row it, which was going to be a lot slower, or we just um, give the whole portfolio over to a letting agency. And that's what we ended up doing. And it was it was the, one of the best decisions, looking back, that I've made on my journey, because the management, some people will love it and enjoy it, but it's not for me. And it's not why I get out of bed. And that is really one of the reasons, you know, and it wasn't for the guys either. Now, will I ever go back to self-managing? Very, very much doubt yes. it. I think now that it's with an agency, yeah, there's certain KPIs they have to hit, but I think that's, you know, and my time leverage oh, is, absolutely. is way more But important. it was quite funny because you having an office was seen by an awful lot of people as the fact that you had made it. You know, you had that lovely oh. shop front, the big green eye Occupy sign, you know. You know look, look, they, they, they've done it. We can too. And yet, of course, in some ways, having an office is a burden around your neck because you can't just pivot and grow. And the COVID, I think, for the investors who came in after the meltdown of the, of the banking crisis, it was a wake-up call to some of them about the fact that actually, yes, it's property. Yes, it's fun. Yes, it makes a lot of money. It's a business, though, and it absolutely yeah. has to be run on a business level. And that's where you three really were unusual because from the word go, you had a business head on, didn't you? You had John, whose surname I can't remember, but John, that's Butchel. right, John, John who Butchel. literally only saw the business part of it and was teaching you everything that you could possibly need to know and he you know you you couldn't deviate could you yeah we were we were like sponges you know learning every little bit and and i think as well you know when you treat things like a business you're not treating it like uh you know a bit of fun on the side you get you know business results you learn business you know about how it works you know how you know conversion rates work when you're letting a yes. property you know you learn all these things that you if you're just opening a door and showing someone a room and letting them and you're thinking of it like that is very different from thinking about right what's my conversion rate on the amount of viewings yep. i'm doing how can we improve that how can we add this now tweak the machine um and john used to call it the sausage yes. machine well absolutely so, because yeah. you, you did you were very good at rinsing and repeating but you knew your parameters so when when you were starting up and you were buying properties what made you look at a set of numbers and quiver and go this is a deal for us <laughs> That happened a lot. <laughs> yeah, it still happens now, Rachel. Good. <laughs> so, Excellent. <laughs> yeah, I think I've, the funny thing is, is there's sometimes there's a few deals that we did that we were like, oh. So what happened was what we called the sausage machine was buying at a certain price, developing it, refinancing, pulling as much money as we could out and onto the next yep. one. That model broke in our eyes to a certain extent, sort of maybe about four or five years in where the prices were going yep. up. And the revaluations weren't following and we were having to leave more and more money in. And we were forced to look sort of elsewhere. But I can remember those first deals, you know, when you see those numbers and you're like, wow, this is amazing. And there was times where the opposite happened. You thought the deal numbers were amazing and then you had a valuer come in and downvalue oh. it. 
And you're like, oh. And, and then we had to rechange our, it's a mindset thing, actually, because what the, what the thinking is, is right, okay, how do we counteract that? And we actually came up with, when we sat down, there was no way we could control a valuation. Like as much as you like to think, right, we do the pack, we do this, we do that. We did everything within our yep. power, can't control it. And you can go to one or two. So what, what can we control? Well, we can control money. So if we need to leave in 40 grand, can we find 40 grand, top that up, leave it in, and then refinance and ex so we were topping up with an investor up to like 80% LTVs, which is quite high in my yes. opinion. But it enabled us to grow the portfolio at the time. So the cash flow would have been dented, taking that extra investment, but it meant we had the property. Yep. And then as we rolled on five years, we'd then refinance, we'd knock that investor out, replace it with bank debt. And that's we're at a, actually funny enough, a big refinancing moment at the moment where we're we're paying down a lot of just investor debt to exit that had left monies into the portfolio and that should actually improve our cash flow because the investor debt is at a higher rate than the bank yes debt. and so we're in the the position of that but generally i've built my pension yeah really absolutely and of course you are you are very young so you know you've got plenty of time now to you know, sure and the way that the investment curve works so that you can now go that part of our business is now out of its growth, we can now stabilise and then we'll start paying down. Meanwhile, more things happen on the side and we go off and do other things, which I know you're doing. But yeah. one of the things I think really worked for you because was this whole attitude towards this is a business, we must all look at the numbers all the time. And that doesn't just apply to the deals. So one of the things that I always remember was the fact that you realised suddenly the deals weren't coming through in the pace they had. And you went, well, what's the difference? I'll do a time and motion study. And you discovered through a whiteboard and the old-fashioned five-bar gates that what you normally did in a day, phone-wise, to the agents, you were doing in a week. And you literally, by going back to basics, going, how are we working this business? You know, forget the property. You realised you had a problem and you could put it right. That was fantastic. And the other thing that I know that people just copied like there was no tomorrow was that you did away with pinboards and you just painted the walls with magnetic paint. So you could take your sticky note and put a stiskit on the wall. And that meant people could see what they had to do and do it really quickly. I still love that thought of the magnetic walls. Yeah, we didn't, uh, to be honest, I didn't think that caught on as much as the, um, the AstroTurf in the living room. <laughs> <laughs> but but the, we used it a few times. And I think when you go through systems and procedures and stuff, what, what was the downside of that? As, as fantastic as it was, the downside was you get dirty, you end up having dirty walls. And so we tested it, measured it and didn't think, and we dropped that uh, eventually. But it was fun at the time. And I think we had it in the office. Yes, you did. Yes. But you see, again, you've, you, you've just office. glossed over that little bit about the fact that you, you knew it was going on, you measured it, you tested it, and you took a decision on the answer of what you had measured. And that's what so yeah. few people do when they're working in property because they, the, the property drives it, not the business. So they end up wondering why it's not working. Whereas actually, if they just said, right, time out, we'll just do a quick see what's going on in the day, the week, and see what we're, we need to readdress, go back to basics. But you know, you've, you've built that up. And now, of course, you're no longer living in Luton because I know you're back in North London. What are you doing now? Because you can't just run your portfolio that you built up forever. You've got other things to do, haven't you? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. So I only probably spend about a day a week or two hours a day, maybe on the I Occupy stuff. Some weeks it's less, some weeks it's a little bit more. So once refinances are done, that will be quite leveraged. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm flipping 
properties in North London, so flats, houses, buying, developing, and selling. So there's some good deal. Like funny enough, I've got a really good deal at the moment. It's 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 a one bed flat. We we haven't exchanged yet, but we're due to exchange this week. And the guy wants cash quick, so that's that's the um, let's say add value add there. Um, he needs cash really quick. So who buys a one bed flat for two hundred and forty five thousand in North what? London? I mean, so cheap. I know, I know, it's ridiculous. So we'll spend about 25K on it. It's got some layout issues. We'll knock down a wall and a few other things. And it needs a full refurb, but like a light, very light. I mean, it's just, this is what I call easy money. So, and then we'll sell it for 380, maybe push 400. So there's about 100K in it after fees and stuff like that. But I've got no planning. I've got no structure. Yep. I've got no, I don't have to deal with a free order for any, you know, deed of variation or anything like that. You know, sometimes... It, it, it's the easy deals that, that I'm in and out in six months. Lovely. You know, and doing four of them a year is an easy life <laughs> versus maybe doing the one million pound deal that makes you maybe two, 300K. So Absolutely. that That's an ego problem, isn't it? So you're very comfortable, basically, again, back to the business. It's where is the money, not how does it make me feel or what does everyone think that I am if, you know, I am the big developer yes. doing an amazing house, but with diddly squat yes. money. You're quite happy. And the funny thing with that, that's very true, I think, is, and it's maybe one of the things I learned from John, was that sometimes property investors go after these big deals and it takes all the planning and you've got all this land and then they end up making a million, but they've spent five years yes. doing it, right? So you know, break that down, that's 200 grand a year. Well, hang on a second, I've got zero stress you know, and and it's not so much about that. It's about the turnaround. Yeah. How quick can you sell? And a lot of investors totally forget about that. They're looking at the ROI and they're looking at what percentage they get. Okay, I've made, you know, 50% of my money. Okay, you've made 50% of your money, but how long has it yes. taken you to make that 50% and then break it down? And your APR actually, your APR return isn't as good. And a lot, I do see it sometimes. So these quick and easy deals, there is, you know, you need good relationships with agents. There's certain things you need, you know, to be able to do them and do them well and find enough of these type of deals. But um, I mean, that's a very small deal. I don't see that as a, like I had another one, which was like just under a million purchase, spend 300K on it, sell it for 1.7. So there are other deals in my bracket that I work on, but I just look for an easy life. So let's plan. <laughs> oh, yeah, we're so together on that, aren't we? Yes. <laughs> Yeah. But that's that's yeah. the great thing, isn't it? It is it is about just being constantly in touch with two key things. One is your investment funds and the other is your contacts in the estate agents. Yes. Yeah. And they together, you're the just the one creaming off the profit. So it's playing to your strengths. So I'm quite a people person, I'm quite sociable. So chatting to investors, chatting to agents, I find it quite natural. It's not a chore for me. Other people struggle very, very much with it. And and so with those people, when I'm also mentoring as well, I say, well, what's your strength? Okay. So sometimes the, the more analytical person may be trying to do mail jobs yeah. and certain, you know, certain different types of direct to vendor methods that, that may work. Someone's more introverted. So I always say like play to your strengths. But for me, that was quite an easy, they're quite easy things to put together and to work with. And um, yeah, I, almost now we don't, like, like I don't advertise for any investment anymore. It comes to yes, you. Yes, it was. Yeah, it's different because it's, it's, it's again, it's a maybe mindset thing, but I've grown as a person. I'm not the same person you met 10 years no, ago. No, absolutely so, not. No, quite right. <laughs> um, thank goodness for that. <laughs> <laughs> so, so back then we were, you know, like by hook or crook, trying to get as much money as we could in to build the portfolio. Now it's a very different mindset. It's like, here's the deal. 
you know, the money's good because I know if the deal stacks up, there's no way an investor won't invest in this. Um, and also I've built up my contact base over the time, you know, so these are all things that compound and help your growth over time that are almost unrecognizable as you're in the thick of it, growing your business. Yes, that's, that's very true. And one of the things that, you know, you've presumably taken with you is, have you outsourced anything in particular? Are you doing everything? So... So in the current business, the I Occupy business, which is the portfolio business, everything's outsourced to a management agency. And I've got one, we've got one full-time employee and just the three directors. That's it. So we're absolutely very, very lean as in direct employment, even though there'll be a lot of people that work for the agency to make sure things are done. I've got like one contact there, one property manager on that side. And then on my the social media marketing and the mentoring side, I've got one VA. Yep. That I is full time in the Philippines, and she's just starting to kick in now with helping on the the consistency of my posts and the video editing and stuff like that. But bar that, um, it's just me. Just you. And 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 I've I've been there, done it, had a whole letting agency with eight people employed. Would I go back to that? No. So you really are a true solopreneur. You really enjoy it. Yes, I do. I think getting it right as well. I think solopreneur in my head thinks right. I'm just on my own, but I don't no, feel like that. No. If that makes sense. You know, I might do things on my own. I think a true solopreneur knows exactly what it is they want to do and how they do it. And that includes people they've outsourced to on the outside. They don't want to come in and feed baby birds every morning like you had to when you had your letting agency. And there, I mean, there's obvious benefits yes. and drawbacks of having a but, team. But, and but it is, I think team. people fall into both brackets. I can't do anything worse than having to go and see people every morning to see what they're up to. You know, that. And, yeah. and you are obviously the same. Now, one of the things I want to know is what was your first reward when you thought, yeah, I'm starting to make money. This is all starting to work. What did you reward yourself with? Uh, the first thing that pops to mind was uh, a house. <laughs> so, <laughs> so so that that is the first thing that pops to mind. So I, I, so it was, a, it was a struggle getting my first house. As much as I built this portfolio, so we suddenly had this sizable portfolio, but I was... I, I literally, we had to sacrifice everything. We, you know, I was living at home with yep. mum uh, to, to make that work, living off 600 quid a month, you know, for probably about four years. That's right? very interesting, And then yes. I was like, I really need to move out. And, you know, I've got all these houses. Why can't I? So I just found a deal for myself. All my money was invested in iOccupy. So I didn't have any money for a deposit. So again, I used an investor, joint ventured with her. She, so she got, a you know, interest on her money. Um, she put the deposit down. It was in her name, but it was in a deed of trust that I basically lifted. I refurbed the whole place and done it. So it was a good joint venture. And that got me on the property ladder. So I got onto the property ladder with very little money. I needed some money to put, I think I had about 20K that I put into refurbing it, doing the work myself. She then had a property that she knew we'd bought for X and, you know, and then it was, and we, we sold, when we sold it, we made a bit of money. And basically she got a set percentage interest I got my money back for my refurb and then we split everything 50-50. Yep. So basically it was just like, this is what we've spent on it. This is the cost of funds. And and um, we made a little bit of money on that, but it got me on the, the property ladder. But you'll be surprised how difficult it was yeah. for me owning so many properties to buy because all the money was being recycled. Yep. And I wasn't taking that money and I knew why it was being recycled. But would a bank lend you the money? Because it didn't say on my tax yes. return... I don't very no, much. No, you were you were definitely idle. 
and loud, uh, sort of loitering about, living with mother. I mean, you couldn't have been a yes. worse example of someone trying to, the bank trying to lend money to. So um, yes. yeah, I can quite see that. But interestingly, again, there you raised a point that often comes out after the event is that to be successful, something has to give in your own life. It doesn't matter what it is because you cannot you know, live a normal life if you've had uh, a previous life before you find property and expect to be able to grow and do the hours and everything else. We've only got 24 hours in a day and we've only got so much yes. money. You, of course, stayed yeah. at home, but now you don't. Although I understand you're going to have to go back because you're having a refurb in your <laughs> own home. Absolutely. So I bought, um, so I'm, I'm North London in Muswell Hill. We've got this lovely ground floor flat. It's a two bed flat with a lovely, nice big garden in, in North London. And we've got planning permission for a wraparound extension and we're turning it from a, a two bed, which is um, about 80 square metres into a three bed with garden office to 140 Ooh. square metres. So we're doubling yes. the size. And so, yeah, un unfortunately, there's going to be like literally a whole little extension knocked. So moving back in with mum for six months while this happens. <laughs> <laughs> but have to do because you will end up with a property that is better for you, much bigger and worth an awful lot more. So just a little bit of yeah. pain. Yeah. And the, and the numbers, the numbers on the main residential here are quite, quite good as well that, you know, all being well, if we, we, we've purchased it for just under 600k. We're going to spend about 200 on it. And then, you know, I've had agents value it at the end at 1.3. So, so like as a main resi, what I've learned as well, built, developing my main resi, tax-free yes. money. So say I make three, 400 grand on this. Say 300 grand. How, what is that as a wage tax? If it's 400 grand, you're talking like 700 grand yes. to make that money. How long would that take in a normal business of trading to make 700K? Whereas I've done it in, uh, it probably would have been, 18 months by the time we've gone through planning and all this other palaver here. But it's a very powerful thing to grow your wealth alongside, yeah. you know, other cash flow means. Yes. Um, uh, it's something like that. It, absolutely. And that is something people often forget. And particularly um, if you can and you're not so absolutely fixed on living in one place, it is another good sideline strategy, isn't it? I mean, like you say, something has to yeah. give. So what am I sacrificing? I've got to go live, live at home with fun. <laughs> Right, that's the sacrifice here, and I'm dragging my partner as well. Unfortunately, she has to. She has. So, so there, there is sacrifices to get there. Like, not everyone wants no. to do it. Um, it's the truth of it. You know? Yes, very much so. But presumably, you did have a few nightmares along the way. You can't have slept absolutely. soundly in your bed every night. Absolutely, absolutely. We've had a few. Well, had any a few. come to mind? <laughs> right. So, jeez, oh, I'll give you a few options. There's the postman that banged his head. Right, we've got the the bridging loan that got called. No, we've got the door. We've got the door kicked in by the police. I'm sure. Well, we've had a few actually. Uh, which one oh, do you I want to hear? I want to hear the bank <laughs> pulling in the uh, the loan. Oh, okay. So that was. So we we were using a, a a bridging lender who was one chap, and we were dealing with him directly. And he just started this. He had a lot of money, and he he started this bridging company. Anyway, we were using his bridging quite a lot because he was very straight, and he was doing like eighty percent LTV as well for us. Perfect. That worked great. So. We'd go purchased and development 80%. In we go, do a deal. And we had one pro we had, I think, one property that we were just finishing up. And we just bought this other property, which was a big 700k purchase. Anyway, so we had oh, well over a million with him. And we, this second property we purchased, it was mid-November we purchased it. Anyway, I think I think I remember the date. It was like 14th of December, 14th of 16th, I can't remember. 14th of December, got a letter from his solicitor, one month to pay back the whole million, closing the loan book. That was it. 
And bearing in mind, you've got Christmas with solicitors. Oh, my word. And everything else. So we we were, so million pound, bearing in mind. And that, that was a little bit stressful over Christmas to think that was in the back of our mind. So we've done a couple of things straight away. We went to work. So firstly, the first property that I was talking about was a HMO. We were in the process of refinancing. So we just need to make sure that was completed by January. Yep. We were in the process already. So that was, say, 400K of the, the million. Then there was... Like we had to get this other 700k and I, I think we we then obviously got on the phone a couple of things we did we requested an extension so he said well i want the money by you got a month so we requested an extension i think we got a one to two month extension either february i thought it was february we got a one month extension right um, off the top of my head so it's still two months to pay, pay yeah, that, back. eight and weeks we or a million yeah, exactly. And we just got on the phone then and called round, called round, called round. And we managed to like club together through various investors that, that 700K to then pay him off and knock him out and, and be able to like then keep the property yep. without any repossession uh, things going on. But it was it was a um, that was, a, you know, a real push at the time. Oh, and, and I think what everybody forgets is not just you having to do the work, but it's that mental pressure, isn't it? The load of despair. Absolutely. I think I think the worst thing was when the le- it was the first week or two and Christmas because it's like Christmas you want to relax, you don't have, but you've got this thing in the back of mind, right? We've got to do this, and but but equally, I've, I think I've always handled stress and pressure quite well because there's a lot of books about written about all this sort of stuff. But you know, what's the worst that can happen? What, I mean, what was the worst that can happen? All right, this deal that we've just bought is going to get taken back off of yeah. us, you know, and it's going to get repossessed. Like, we bought it at a good price. So, yes. you know, even if it went in auction, we would still get that. So there's there's always options. And look, can we negotiate with this guy? Can we push it back, you know? Oh, we get to the point and we haven't repaid it. What's going to yes. happen? Is he going to serve notice? So, you know, we there's always there's always another option and there's always other options and it's never you know doomsday no so it's the answer is never put your head in the sand and be an ostrich just find out everything you can and go right okay these are our options this is the worst case scenario how do we get it better than worst case scenario yes yeah and it all came true well honestly yeah. thank you so much bill i think that people listening are going to get such value out of what you said today and the best thing I think is that you know where, how you start and how you end are not going to be the same. You know, once, no. once you've got your first set of goals out of the way and you make yourself financially secure, oh my goodness me, you can have fun in property, can't you? And you clearly still are. Yes, yes, yeah, and I still enjoy it absolutely. I still enjoy the thrill of the deal, and you know, I've got, I've got literally just before I came on here, I've got calls from the agent. Look, if you don't ex- exchange this week, the deal's out of bed. You know, I, I love all that. You know, some people might find that pressure, but I'm sort of like juggling it making the keeping the deal alive so that's what i really enjoy so yeah fantastic well thanks very much Uh, it was been an enormous pleasure thank you thank you for listening to the property solopreneur podcast with rachel troughton if you want to create a professional and profitable property business download my property business checklist now at racheltroughton.com slash checklist